Southerners have long created the storylines that shape the nation, and in some ways the world. We have planted the seeds that spark global movements. As goes the South, so goes the nation. Never in our lifetime has that been more true. Whether it's fighting for racial justice, ending health disparities, fighting for voting rights by organizing people around common goals, these issues, and the Southerners leading the charge over them, are going to set the tempo for the 2020 elections. This season of The Reckon Interview, we're digging into the stories and people beyond the polls and partisanship. We're speaking with the community leaders and fresh young voices doing the work of building the future South, on the ground and out of the spotlight. If you're looking for another political podcast to handicap the horse race, there are plenty of them out there. But we want you to join us as we explore the Southern issues, trends, and movements that matter most. And hopefully learn how to plant our own seeds of change. So subscribe to The Reckon Interview wherever you get your podcasts. For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic. The parents were in their room that night. We could have come up with a better plan and a better decision than what the superintendent did. And we don't get $150,000 a year for that. Today we hear from Paul Rollins, a funeral director in Tuscaloosa, who spoke at Tuesday's Tuscaloosa Board of Education meeting, where the board eventually voted 5-3 to three in favor of reopening Tuscaloosa City Schools' plan to return to in-person instruction. Elementary and middle students will start in a staggered format starting September 21st. High school students are scheduled to return in a staggered format September 28th. By October 12th, all traditional elementary, middle, and high school students will return to their respective campuses where Alabama Department of Public Health guidelines for operating schools will be followed. Under the staggered model, half of the student body will be on campus for two days a week. The rotation will be on Monday and Tuesdays for one group, Wednesdays and Thursdays for another group, and Fridays will be a virtual day and planning day for educators. The time will be used to orient and train students on COVID-19 precautions, according to Tuscaloosa City Schools. Paul Rollins, who has children who are not enrolled in Tuscaloosa City Schools, spoke at the meeting to appeal to the board to resist sending kids back for in-person instruction. He sees it as too great a risk for the entire community in the event that asymptomatic carriers then infect more vulnerable people in their households and beyond. I spoke to Mr. Rollins about his concerns about COVID and children returning to school sooner than planned. If he thinks the Board of Education is truly taking his and other parents' remarks into consideration and how the pandemic has impacted his funeral home business. I'm Paul Rollins, Jr., resident of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I'm a licensed film director and owner of Rollins Mortuary here in Tuscaloosa. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I assume that because you went to the meeting and you spoke so passionately about it in that way, I, I assume you have children, but correct me if I'm wrong. Is that right? I do, but none of them are in the Tuscaloosa City School System. So you appeared at Tuesday night's Board of Education meeting. Why did you go and why did you speak? I mean, this, this is not my first time attending the meetings. I attend fairly regularly um, between the school board meetings and the city council meetings. It's just, if it's, if it's something I see, I'm going to say something about it. And with, with, this, with this topic, it's, it's more than just, it's more than just school. 
it, it's a situation where we are putting individuals' lives at risk. I oftentimes get questioned about running for different offices, and I tell them, no, that's not my, my battle. But when children are involved, oftentimes, I mean, children can't speak for themselves. And at some point in time, someone needs to speak up for the best interest of the children. And later on in life, once we get older, the children will be the individuals that will be adults that will be taking care of us. Um, and this whole situation, a lot of people see this pandemic, and I don't think they take it seriously. And a lot of things can be understood and done with just common sense. And sometimes when it seems fairly simple to me, I just understand why it's so difficult for everyone else. Last night was heartbreaking. And the first thing that crossed my mind when that vote came through was everyone that voted yes to force these kids back in school. I hate to speak negative things into existence, but the blood would be on their hands. If they would just listen to what all the parents were saying, it's something as simple as it was primarily the parents from I'm not sure what district it is, but a lot of the parents are from north of the river, which is fine. Wherever you come, it doesn't matter if you're north of the river, east or west, western cluster. The only thing they were saying was, we want a choice to send our kids back to school. We didn't have a choice uh, for virtual. And our children are not performing well with virtual. Well, if that's the case, the superintendent should have listened and done two things. The first one was have an actual plan in place because that's what all this boils down to was a plan in the first place. When the pandemic started or when it was recognized, because it had started before March, but when it was recognized in March, they had six months to prepare for school. And the whole time they were to, they were supposed to be coming up with a plan. And by the time late July, early August arrived, they still had no plan in place. They had a proposal or whatever you would like to call it. And they, you know, send that out via social media, what have you. Um, but there was still no plan. So that's why the nine weeks came into place. Well, let's wait nine weeks and give you more time to come up with a plan. See what happens at other schools. Nine weeks have gone by. The other schools, numbers are bad. You have quarantine students, teachers, what have you. And the numbers are going to get worse. We're about to go into flu season. So the numbers are going to get worse. And again, the parents were just asking, hey, you forced us into virtual. Give us a choice to go back. And they would even they were even saying, hey, if the kids want to stay at home, let them stay at home. But give us a choice. That being the case, say, hey, OK, let's open this up. Let's have a safety plan in place for the students, for the teachers, janitors, everyone that's involved. And we will give you a choice. If you want to go back, for everyone that chooses to go back, let's start you all off on staggered. And everyone that's not comfortable going back, you can stay at home. Instead, they voted that in three days, you'll be back in school full throttle staggered. So all kids. It's not a choice. It's all kids. So the same thing one group was complaining about, not having a choice to go back to school, forcing them to stay virtual. Now it's going to be a group that's saying, now you're forcing me back into the school during a pandemic? I mean, they can point out sports and what have you. You choose to play sports. You don't have to go to the football game. You don't have to play football. 
but you're telling me pretty much I have to go back to school. And your your first your your main priority in all this are the students. You cannot tell me that you're the superintendent of one of the largest, one of the top what five maybe, we're probably top five in population for school districts in the state of Alabama and you care about the kids, but now you're forcing them back into school knowingly, knowing the words that came out of your mouth as superintendent that we can't protect the kids. If they're staggered, we're pretty much splitting the rooms in half, dividing them down the middle and staggering. But this is only going to be for a few weeks. October 12th, we're going back in full throttle. Everybody, we're going back to full school. So even if I split it, a, a classroom of 28 down to 14 kids a day, well, October 12th, it'll be back to 28 kids. And we know that we can't follow social distance guidelines. However, we got to give it a try. You don't try with someone's life. You can't do it. And as a film director, I keep telling them over and over and over. They they say, well, what's the, the smallest demographic or what have you of, of individuals that are not affected? And they say the kids. But that's not true. It's not it's the population, the, the population of individuals that are not affected the most by this pandemic are the individuals that stay at home. That's the ones that's least affected by it, the ones that stay at home. Now, the children, they're more asymptomatic when it comes to this virus. And as a film director, since March, I've probably had over 30 cases. Over 30 cases that that were COVID cases. And with those cases, I often see when the family comes in, whomever is in that household, I say eight times out of ten, if it's if it's a household of, of five, all of them have tested positive at some point in time. Most of them were asymptomatic, but they all tested positive. Once that one person in the household was found out to be positive. I mean, it, it makes no logical sense why they would for, um, force the whole school system back into school. You have janitors that are older. Even, even if the kids are on effect, you have janitors that are older students that are older, I'm sorry, teachers that are older. They didn't reach out to the teachers to say, hey, what do you think? What can we do? They they put a panel together a few weeks ago that are they're supposed to be professionals, doctors and people from the State Department. But, I mean, you also have people here from nursing homes. What does a nursing home have to do with the school, the school system? I mean, a nursing home has some of the worst outbreaks going on throughout the country. And, and you're dealing with individuals that are locked inside of a building, their loved ones can't come and see them. The only people that are going in and out are the employees. And the nursing homes are having some of the worst outbreaks. So why do you have an individual from a nursing home on a panel? And if you're going to use this panel for guidance to go back to school, this gentleman said, hey, it's going to be hard. You can't use a water fountain because kids are going to use the same water fountain. You can't do it. Okay, well, no water. Are you going to provide water? Are you going to provide masks? They said they're going to provide masks, but for the masks, will they be disposable masks or will they be take-home masks? A lot of these kids may not have the necessary supplies at home to clean that mask properly. Does the school system have enough money to provide a disposable mask every day for each student, each teacher? The proper cleaning. Are they ready to do proper cleaning? The air conditioning units. 
when you have the filters, they need to go in the air conditioning units to stop the spread of this virus or to contain it um, since it is transmitted through the air. There's so many unknown questions. And for the superintendent to come out and say, well, we know we can't 100% safely protect these kids because we can't social distance. We have too many kids. Water, we'll see. You have a board member, Marvin Lucas, that asked about plexiglass, but we don't have enough money for all of the students. However, I asked the superintendent if we can get plexiglass for pre-K and kindergarten. Well, the answer was we did a study and we know it's going to cost $300,000. $300,000 for pre-K through their first and second grade for all, all the kids we have pre-K through second grade. Well, they don't have $300,000. And even if they did start school Monday, they don't have the time to do it. So now at that point, we're sending the kids back in school. No plastic class. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, the same board member, Mr. Lucas, works at the hospital, DCH. And in his comments, he said, hey, this virus is serious. I see it every day. I've had loved ones to die from this virus. I see patients at DCH that are dying from this virus. But yet it's still when the vote comes, you vote yes to send the kids back to school. And again, a kid goes to school, asymptomatic, brings it back home to his mom, his dad, grandma, granddad, and now they've lost a loved one. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. I, I just don't understand. And again, it's one of those situations where it's, I don't understand why individuals are willing to take that risk with children. You, you can't do it. If one life is lost, you can't say, well, it was worth a try. And that's pretty much what the superintendent said. Well, we gotta try. We know we're gonna get some things wrong, but we won't know unless we try. No, you can't do it like that, Ben. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy to me. We'll be right back. You had the room to yourself for about five minutes. The room was quiet. Everybody was listening to you. People in Facebook Live were commenting on, on you know, and agreeing with what you had to say. Other parents and teachers went before and after you to express similar opinions. Do you feel like the board heard your and others' concerns last night in spite of the result of the vote? Do you feel like you were heard in that they're taking the things that you're saying into consideration? Not at all. The Tulsa City School Board works like this. When they come to the meeting, their mind is made up. It's sad, but a lot of it is just politics. The structure of it is wrong. With this whole situation last night, in my opinion, I mean, because all this is opinion-based, but in my opinion, what should have been done is the same way back in July, the central office could have presented a plan for the community to review, parents and all, as far as a safety plan. So at least parents would know what the safety plan is, not what the hopes are. What is your actual safety plan? Because I, I know the central offices leave a lot of this up to the different principals to decide certain things. That's not, no, you can't do that. As a superintendent, you need to make a decision and say, this is what we're going to do. 
But no, I don't believe they say listen. Once it came down to that vote, or once the agenda item was brought up, I believe that at that time, the superintendent should have made his suggestion. That's when the parents or whomever had comments should have been allowed to speak at that time. Instead of speaking an hour before, then you go through some more agenda items, and then the superintendent speaks, and then board members vote, and that's it. Because when we're talking, they can't speak back. A lot of these questions could have been answered while parents were making certain comments. And with that, they could have listened and they could have possibly amended some of the plan. And that's an issue. If last week your plan was, we'll go to school on September 21st, that would have given the teachers three school days and a full school week. So eight school days pretty much 10 days to get ready for the kids. The superintendent decided to postpone the vote. And instead of coming back this week and pushing back one more week, so you had the same time frame between your vote and the kids going back to school, at the very least, now you kept it the same date, and now you're sending the kids in school, giving teachers three days to get ready. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to get ready. That's crazy. So no, I don't believe they I don't believe they listen at all. If it was a situation like this, I believe they could have the parents that were in their room that night, we could have come up with a better plan and a better decision than what the superintendent did. And we don't get hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year for that. So you mentioned you're a funeral director. COVID has obviously impacted small businesses. I wonder how so for you. I mean, I don't mean to presume that your business and a deadly virus like this are, are going to cross paths, but you've already mentioned that you've had up to 30 cases uh, of COVID pass through your, your business. And, and I just wonder, speaking as a small business owner, how have you felt COVID so far? COVID is a monster. Um, I mean, it's plain and simple. This disease, I'm sorry, this virus is absolute monster. I've seen it go through households. I've seen it take the lives of siblings. I've seen it take the lives of multiple generations. I've seen it take the lives of a child and a parent. I've seen it take the life of a parent and a grandparent. I mean, it's it, it's a monster. When it was first acknowledged, we had um, we were having daily calls as a funeral director association. Um, the state association, we would have daily calls with representatives on the state level, individuals from the CDC, individuals from the Alabama Department of Public Health daily, because we were in a mad scramble. That's when we can get PPEs. We were trying to get information on how to clean our facilities. And a lot of the questions we had couldn't be answered at the time. How to clean our prep room, you know. I mean, it was a lot going on. And I have some colleagues that are outside of the state of Alabama that were, I mean, in some of the hot spots up in New York and Maryland and areas like that that were, I mean, they were getting just, just it, it, was, it was awful. The traditional funeral as we knew it changed uh, to 
primarily gravesides. That's here in Alabama. Up north, they were doing nothing but cremations. It's heartbreaking. And you, you try to explain to individuals the seriousness of it. I mean, it, it's one of those situations where we're, we're around it so much. It's almost as if, I mean, it, it's no way that we can avoid it in our industry. And it makes you hesitant to be around your other family members or your children. Um, I remember seeing a video back in March when it first was acknowledged, when the pandemic was first acknowledged. And there was a doctor that worked in one of the hotspot hospitals up in New York or somewhere, Boston. And he had entered his home and he was coming through his door and he had a little son. And his son may have been two years old or so. He was able to walk, but he was still a toddler. And when his son saw his dad, he took off running to his dad to give him a hug. And his dad had to put his hands up and tell his son to stop because he couldn't hug his own son because he had just came back from the hospital. We come home from work, and I know of colleagues, and we're, we're pretty much getting undressed in the garage before you walk into your own house. I mean, it's, it has, um, it's really done a number uh, on society, but just with our industry as a whole, it, it's changed a lot. This is an industry where you have to have compassion for others. Um, we're used to shaking hands. We're used to hugging, greeting people, consoling people at the most difficult time in their lives. And now it makes it where it's so not personal anymore. It's you're talking, you can't shake hands. I can't console anyone that's just lost a loved one because we had to practice social distancing. This virus has, has changed life as everyone knows it. I mean, who knows if we'll ever get back to what we consider to be normal again, but it, it's, it's definitely something that's, that's serious, and, and that's that's why I'm, I'm so upset with the vote from last night as it pertains to these children. Um, you have kids that are upset because they can't go to school and see their friends, but they can video chat their friends. If little Johnny goes to school and friends arrive back home and his grandmother dies because she has a weak immune system or what have you, well, he won't be able to see his grandma again. And God forbid that Johnny realizes or someone tells him or he even thinks that, well, I'm the reason my grandma passed because I brought the virus back home and she died. But again, I guess that's a risk that the superintendent and the board members have voted yes or willing to take. Because like they said, well, we know we can't social distance and some things we can't do, some things we can't. We don't know the money is there to do it. However, we got to give it a shot. We're going to get some things wrong. You can't risk someone's life with this virus. You can't do it. If you or anyone you know is affected by coronavirus and want to share your story, please email bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at AL.com. For all of our coverage on the outbreak and how it continues to impact Alabama, visit AL.com slash coronavirus. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thanks for listening.